Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is John Keeley and this is the podcast extension of ROI Show 511. Our guest for today is Judy Ridner, professor of history at Mississippi State University and co-editor of the journal Early American Studies, who will be talking to us about the dirty history of soap. The history buffs join us today are Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. And Rick, uh, let's just get the stench off your chest. Uh, why don't you start us off this time? I am scraping the oil off my body. <laughs> Are you now? <laughs> Luckily, this is not okay. on television. Yes. <laughs> Judy, um, you mentioned in the uh, broadcast portion that uh, the impact of being clean uh, in its relationship to disease prevention. Mm-hmm. Was this noted uh, over history? I mean, obviously, COVID with with Mr. Fauci mm-hmm. and everybody else. Uh, was this a noted uh, fact of, that was understood that being clean would uh, be a path to health? Uh, actually, it wasn't. This is also a very recent uh, phenomenon, and it's mostly coming about, it's coming about in the 19th century. Um, Although there are, there is certainly an association, soap certainly had certain medicinal qualities that go back in time. There was really very little association of cleanliness with disease prevention until the 19th century. And it starts on a number of fronts. Um, There are, are urban reformers that are very concerned with um, the spread of disease in cities, and this is set off in large part by a series of cholera epidemics that sweep the world beginning in the 1820s and continuing periodically in the 19th century. And in both Europe and the U.S., um, sanitary reformers really start a concerted effort to clean up the cities as a way to sort of, you know, cut down on the spread of what they thought was bad air spreading disease, clean up the filth to stop the spread of bad smells that harbored disease. And then this gets extended to cleaning up bodies to prevent the spread of human disease. And then that coupled with, so there's like urban reforms, but then there are also discoveries in science that further this, this process. Um, Doctors, surgeons start to notice that the use of various antiseptics in the delivery of babies and uh, the, uh, during surgery seem to prevent infection. And there's uh, the discovery of Louis Pasteur and the discovery of the germ theory of disease start to also place greater emphasis during the 19th century on cleanliness as a form of disease prevention. But what's really interesting is that it takes, you know, to us, well, I guess to us now, it seems to me a no-brainer that when you understand the germ theory of disease, it's time to clean things up. But actually, the germ theory of disease took a while to take hold. And a lot of the sanitary reforms of the 19th century were actually quite controversial and at times resisted by parts of the general population in the U.S. and in Western Europe. So it takes the better part of the 19th century for Americans and Western Europeans to become a little bit more convinced about this connection between cleanliness and hygiene and disease prevention. So, again, it would be a relatively modern um, connection. We're not there yet because some people 
refuse to wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, what's interesting is we've seen some of these similar controversies during the pandemic about masking and about the necessity. You know, again, while we've proven that COVID is a respiratory illness, it still doesn't hurt to keep your hands washed because that is the way to prevent you from getting sick with maybe not COVID, but a lot of other uh, pathogens. So, yeah, we're still seeing a lot of these issues today. And and so I would, again, say the 19th century, we see a lot of similar things over controversies about cleaning up bodies and people in the 19th century. Terry. Yeah, Judy, I'd like to take us back to colonial America. Did uh, the colonists back then, did they use soap um, only for textiles, but did they use it for bathing? Or what kind of uh, sanitary conditions did they have back then? So in the colonial period, mostly people shunned bathing with soap. There were probably some elite people who could obtain imported olive oil soap from Europe via the Middle East, uh, but most people did not bathe with soap. And in, instead, what most colonial era people favored, like most ordinary Western Europeans at the time, was that they did a lot of sponge bathing, and then they used essentially their undergarment. Uh, both men and women in the colonial period wore a shift, a kind of linen um, like an undershirt, but it's really a, a shirt, like a liner shirt, underneath their gowns or their jackets. And they laundered those shifts regularly. And so the shift then became a kind of um, a, a, a garment that absorbed your body odors, your smells, your perspiration, and then that was laundered regularly. And so that became a kind of quasi-form of bathing or cleaning without water. So you might then just sponge bath with water, you know, in a basin, but you didn't do uh, immersive bathing very often. And then what you did was you just regularly changed the linen shift Um on a maybe not a daily basis, but maybe on a weekly basis, and you use that as the way of keeping your body clean. So it's a very different sense than what we have today. If say most most people today we shower daily, I mean that was just absolutely and completely unheard of in the colonial period. Um, let's go back even farther because if I I remember, uh, my wife and I were in England uh, decades ago, and in York they had the oldest tavern there known as the black swan and on top they had a kind of uh window that would look down on people coming into the tavern to shut the door if they were lepers because of leprosy mm -hmm. and if i read leprosy really can be solved with soap and water i mean it was i mean there's other factors but soap and water for the most part did a really good job of curing that problem um so if you're talking back then was it why were some of the reasons why i mean i understand the myth that if you if it was cold and europe was very cold and you got sick and the flu and died but soap and water as you were pointing out with other COVID or other uh diseases yeah. did a pretty good job keeping things in check 
So when do they start realizing that, you know what, this is the answer? Um, so again, it's pretty, it's pretty late. They're, uh, Europe, a kind of during and after the Middle Ages, there's a kind of backlash against a lot of bathing because uh, a lot of bathhouses got bad reputations as places of sort of um, sexual license and uh, as kind of immoral places. And so then you see a backlash in the early modern and the colonial American period against bathing. And then again, it's when we come to the 19th century, we really start to see a change. And again, it has to do with a combination of science, observation, and uh, I can also add two uh, wars like the Crimean War, mass wars like the Crimean War and the U.S. Civil War, where suddenly sanitation uh, the disposal of bodies, but sanitation in field hospitals, sanitation in in um, soldiers' camps becomes increasingly important. And soap companies like Procter & Gamble start peddling their soap uh, as part of the kits that get distributed to soldiers. So they really, there is then um, a kind of marketing push at the ordinary soldiers, say in the Civil War, to start using soap to, in you know, to wash their hands, to wash their bodies, to keep themselves clean, as a way of improving sanitation in a lot of the soldiers' camps during the Civil War. So it's kind of, um, in many respects, it is the 19th century that really changes the use of soap and changes people's conceptions of how soap should be used in connection to their bodies. We would like to thank our noted guest for the 511th show, Judy Rittner, professor of history at Mississippi State University and co-editor of the journal Early American Studies, who talked to us about the dirty history of soap. The History Bus for today's show were Terry Toppler and Rick Sweet. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at tunein.com. If you're looking for older programs, You'll find them at soundcloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.